I'm just saying, if we're gonna go out, we're gonna drive around, we should just do something. Oh. Yeah, you know, you're right, man. I'm just gonna, you know, get drunk, maybe get laid, <laughs> get into fight. No, I'm serious, man. We should be up for anything. I know, we are. But what? I mean, God, don't you ever feel like everything we do and everything we've been taught is just to service the future? Yeah, I know. It's like, it's all preparation. Right, but what are we preparing ourselves for? Death. Life of the party. It's true. You know, but that's valid. Because if we're all going to die anyway, shouldn't we be enjoying ourselves now? You know, I'd like to quit thinking of the present, like right now, as some minor insignificant preamble to something else. Exactly, man. That's what everybody in this car needs. It's some good old worthwhile visceral experience. Welcome to part two of our Dazed and Confused episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. We're going to take advantage that uh, Lillian has stepped out because uh, she didn't want to take part of this shameless uh, promotion of our patron. And we're going to tell uh, all our patrons what they can expect on our patron channel and also let our non-patrons know uh, what they're missing out on. So, Alex, it's August... That is a new set of QVRs, a new Patreon-exclusive episode, lots of new stuff that we have to announce. So uh, let's start with the QVRs. Let's do. This is Ryan's turn to pick. Ryan from Spit and Polish, which means that this this could go horribly wrong or it could go really <laughs> well. <laughs> um, you are getting assigned the movie Bad Boy Bobby for a quick video review. I already forgotten, but you mentioned it when I told you about this off mic. They brought this movie up when we were mm-hmm. recording with them for the Idiot Box episode on their show, right? Yeah, it was recommended, and I looked it up, and I actually put it on a list of movies to watch. So, well, two birds, one stone in here. There you go. Bump to the top. Uh, I've heard about it. I'm not going to tell you what I've heard. I'm just going to wait and see <laughs> what happens when you send me those files. I've also heard about the movie that Ryan has assigned me for a quick video review, and that is the movie Tyrannosaur. That is a Brandon Curtis movie, right? Mm-hmm. That was one that he recommended to me years ago. He put on a flash drive. He's like, hey, man, you should watch this. And I did. And I liked it. I know absolutely nothing about this movie other than that. Next, we have a Patreon-exclusive episode that is going to be uh, the beginning of a new journey for the Contrarians. In this, Alex comes from uh, from somebody very close to the Contrarians family, the, the, the third Contrarian, in a way. This mm-hmm. is uh, coming from uh, Zoe Perez. Her social media guru is uh, playing the game now. and uh, Love it. This is... A- Partly born out of a conversation, dare I say, a drunken conversation we had at her birthday party a couple months ago where she was like, you guys need to do the Twilight franchise. <laughs> and uh, it was her birthday. I may have committed to to seeing what we can do. And so this is what we can do, Alex. Chapter one, Twilight, is going to be part of a Patreon-exclusive episode. Uh, and then we'll kind of weave in and out of the main feed for the rest of the franchise. So we'll get into this as we get closer. Basically, we'll do New Moon on the main feed. We'll do Eclipse as a QVR, two separate QVRs from each of us. And then we'll come back with Breaking Dawn to the main feed. My God. It sounds... I don't think that franchise deserves any less. So, But we'll start with Twilight. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but Zoe, for the work (laughs) she's done for us, doesn't deserve any less. Okay, allow me to rephrase. I don't think Zoe deserves any less. <laughs> um, and then, of course, as you know, there is Contrarians After Hours. Which is the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we watch, other things that we've read, played, listened to, experienced. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? For this installment of After Hours, uh, we'll be discussing the Shudder original series, Cursed Films, which focuses on alleged uh, curses and also very real tragedies and things that have happened on the set of films. Um, Started watching it this week and got pretty quickly into it, realizing that this is not a bingeable show uh, because it deals with some pretty dark shit. So uh, that being said, it's all very well put together and I've gotten some real... um, enjoyment from the episodes I've watched so far. So recapping what I've watched and what I still have to go 
uh, there's a lot of good stuff on Shutter if you're into that. And I think one of the keystones, uh, or at least one of the high points of their originals right now is definitely this series. So we will be talking about it. Nice. Uh, I will supplement your horror stories with my own horror story of how I watch M. Night Shyamalan's old. I mean, it had to be done. We did the Shyamalan anthology uh, not too long ago, and I kind of felt like I owed M. Night, uh, you know, check out his new movie. I didn't owe him to go see it in theaters, but I knew as soon as it was streaming for free, I would catch it, and I did. It's on HBO Max now. Um and then a more recent movie, I'll also be telling you about the new Beavis and Butthead movie. Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Paramount Plus original, I think. What? Uh, Have you seen Do America? I haven't seen Do America. Oh, then why'd you watch this? It's not like the MCU. I don't need to watch them in order or anything. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not a direct sequel. Have you seen it? No, but I would still think you would want to have had seen... I, I love Do America. I just figured you would want to have seen that first. I guess not. No, I'll, I'll tell you about my experience with it. It's made me want to watch Do America. Mm. I've, I've seen the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers music video. Yes. For uh, roller Coaster, roller of, coaster love. of Love. Their, uh, love Roller Coaster. Yeah, yeah that's it. The, the cover they did for that. All right. So, Curse Movies, Old... And Beavis and Butthead do the universe. That is your after hours. And then we'll also have all the other stuff that we told you about in addition to the cutter room floor segments and our pre-recording notes and all the other cool stuff that we have on our channel. Our Roxena miniseries should be wrapped up by now. Uh, all five parts available for you. Just the, the, the journey of uh, wrestling learning that Alex took me on. <laughs> I've come out of a with a bigger understanding of uh john cena and the rock as wrestlers and also as actors because uh we've we've given I, I think we we paid more attention to their filmographies than uh any casual fan would expect oh absolutely like we, we went for the b-sides in, in some of those chapters yeah and wrapping up here with vacation friends and skyscraper two of their respective most recent entries and you know along the way we've covered what's going on with their film careers and fuck we talk about the reunion we talk about the rundown uh fast five the marine i mean all your favorites <laughs> they're all there uh, and <laughs> everything in between encapsulating their uh professional wrestling careers as well all your favorites indeed <laughs> all right if for some reason all of that or any of that sounds appealing, please check out our Patreon channel. Uh, you can join the Contrarian Supplements at patreon.com slash contrarianprime. Uh, just look at our tiers and uh, see if you would like to uh, to join in the fun. Absolutely. $1, $3, $5, and $10, as Julio said. Head over there, poke around, see what it is that might tickle your fancy. Check it out. A $1 subscription gets you in on the ground floor. And uh, we know you'll eventually end up upgrading just because you're you're going to want to know what we think about, I don't know, uh, the burbs or uh, sleepless in Seattle. You'll find something that you want our comments on. But for now, just throw us a buck. Check out what's already there and enjoy it. Let us know what you like. You can reach us at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. If you don't want to reach out to us directly on Twitter, let us know what you like. Let us know if there's something you're not feeling. That way we can put our resources and more energy elsewhere. To all of our current and existing patrons, we love you all so dearly. And as I like to say, we are always accepting applications for new ones. And now, Alex. It's time to spark up. Behind every good man, there's a woman. And that woman was Martha Washington, man. And every day George would come home, she'd have a big fat bowl waiting for him, man, when he'd come in the door, man. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady, man. And there she is, Lillian's coming back to the studio. So so now, Alex, we can start real talk proper. Who <laughs> wants to go first? I did not uh, upgrade as I had threatened to potentially do and got the uh, Criterion release. I'm not sure if I'm going to now. <laughs> the liner notes are just like a series of apologies <laughs> from uh, Richard Linklater and the cast. It has one of the cooler um, box arts of the Criterion Collection. Have you ever seen it, Julio? I don't think so. No, it's like a it's a sleeve that has all these little 
holes cut out on it that match up to like pictures of the cast. And so you take that off and oh, it's well, like a bigger fun. collage picture. The spine is very loud though. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But Psychedelic? It, yeah, it, well, it looks kind of like a um, uh, like a binder that's drawn on, that type of thing. Ah. And, you know, there's other criterions I need to add to the collection before this. Dazed and Confused, Richard Linklater, uh, as Tim Dillon once brilliantly said, one of the only actual success stories from Austin. Uh, <laughs> Tim Dillon said that? It was him, Nora Jones, and Mike Judge were like, he's like, those are the only people that have actually like <laughs> made themselves successes staying in Austin. I mean, I guess uh, Roy Rodriguez doesn't count because he came from Mexico. <laughs> and in that vein, I think that's a, a fitting name to bring up because Quentin Tarantino has this, has Dazed and Confused in his 10 greatest films of all time. Oh, God. <laughs> Never a good sign. <laughs> Whatever. In 2003, Entertainment Weekly said it was 17 on the list of top 50 cult films and third on its list of 50 best high school movies, 10th on its funniest of the past 25 years, 6th on its cult 25 essential left field movies since 1983. A movie with quite the legacy. I'd watched Mean Girls recently when this was over. I was like, Mean Girls is a better high school movie than this. And I fear that's the type of shit that'll get me death threats. So uh, <laughs> may have to cut that at a later time. Uh, Days of Confused again was released on September 24th of 1993 in 183 theaters. And it grossed 918,127 on its opening weekend. Went on to make uh, $8 million, as I had mentioned a bit earlier. God, that seems uh, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, didn't I just see that Thor made like, Hundred thirty-five million dollars or something. It's a, like what is that? Okay, I guess that's you know that was close to thirty years ago. But well, Floyd was not part of the MCU. That's mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. I was just trying to like that's such Wood- a huge leap. Wooderson was not an Avenger. <laughs> we recently uh, finished our Roxena journey for our patrons, and uh, that event that one night. WrestleMania 28 made $67 million for the company. And it's like, when you compare that some to like, I brought it up at the time. It was like, we talk about movies that were in theaters for six months. that didn't make that much money, that type yeah. of thing. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely for what this movie holds, not just locally, but as it's, it would not be hyperbolic or melodramatic to say, all right, all right, all right. Is one of the like most iconic film quotes of the modern era. So this movie definitely holds its place in the pop culture zeitgeist. So when you actually read it and see that it didn't do shit when it came out, it's kind of like, it's, it's a bit surprising in retrospect. Yeah. I mean, I'm not um, saying it should have made $165 million. I'm not saying like, and plus I could care less about Thor, but like, I just (laughs) comparing those numbers is just mind blowing. That's pretty much comparing every, marvel movie to every yeah, yeah. i don't release. mean to get off topic here i know that there's contention around the marvel stratosphere <laughs> or whatever they call it richard Linklater's hulk movie it'll oh, happen oh my god <laughs> just hulk mistreating women and just rambling on <laughs> with just like a, all the budget is on the soundtrack it's just <laughs> it's all beatles songs <laughs> beatles and michael jackson songs but it's still closest with slow ride Oh, my God. Oh, God. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, highly rated. And, you know, we're dealing with an acclaimed filmmaker that um, is of many people's tastes. I mean, our myself, the, the co-host included. I love Bernie. We, we're big trumpeters of the Before Trilogy. It's uh, It's just kind of funny and in some ways, I guess, fitting, ironic. Our boyhood episode was one of our most, like, self-discovery episodes we've done in the sense of, not even just watching it through an analytical lens, but uh, realizing we like fell for it when it came out. And <laughs> I think us. he did. He tricked us. It's that scene in the other guys where they keep getting bribed and they don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and coming back to this, uh, I loved this movie in high school, man, in high school and college. Like I watched this. I must have seen this movie 20 or 30 times. And uh, it'd been a few years since I had seen it. I was kind of surprised at how much of it I could just quote uh, by memory. It's a problem, though, going through it with this fine-tooth comb. And when you put these goggles on, trying to be analytical about shit, you see things that you can't unsee. And you develop takes that you're like, there's actually some grounds to this. 
uh, I, I think we we can just launch right into it. But first, we got to see the eight percent. Who were the naysayers of Dazed and Confused? These were the the kids that got paddled, that grew up to be Run Tomatoes critics. Uh, we'll start with Malcolm Johnson from Hartford Courant, who says, Watching this documentary-style picture is like being clean and sober at some endless 70s party where everyone else is drunk or stoned. Do you get the feeling that Malcolm Johnson played that part a lot when he was younger? <laughs> he was the, the He was Adam Goldberg. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Getting his ass beaten. <laughs> Uh, Bruce Bennett from Spectrum, St. George, Utah, says, has the look and spirit of the time down pat. Unfortunately, it captures only the worst of the typical misogynistic, foul-mouthed, druggy losers of the period. Ooh. He took it personally. But it's like Lillian said, it, it captures the look, the, hey, the fashion. Yeah, but they looked <laughs> cool, right? Them jeans were tight as shit when they were getting paddled in the ass. That's <laughs> <laughs> With pliers. Uh, Kevin Carr from 7M Pictures says, glorifies bullying and tries to balance it with pseudo-intellectual contemplation, such as uh, waxing poetic about aliens and uh, George Washington, was it? Yeah. It was. And Gilligan's Island. I said George Bush and <laughs> as if George Bush grew weed. Now now we need to make that movie. That's what <laughs> needs to happen. I'd watch that. That is a documentary. And finally, Indra Ariaga from Anchorage Press says, Days and Confused follows a long list of teenage coming-of-age movies, but it's not by any means the best of them. That that seems a more uh, sober, temperate take. I'm curious which ones he would say were better. Because I'm trying to think of what the gold standard at this point would have been. Would it have been Breakfast Club? Would that still have been like the standard bearer? Mm, oh, yeah. Ferris Bueller. It, but it, they're so different, though. Like in tone and I think in what they're trying to do. So I think to lead, I will say I enjoy this movie, but I think the things we've discussed so far and the every one of those reviews you just read has validity to it. Yeah. The, The problem with a movie like this is it becomes how much do you want to get into that? Because the movie doesn't ask you to do that. The movie is just what you see is what you get. And if you're token up or having a beer while you're watching it, that's all the better. It's not a movie that asks you to rethink things. It's not like it's not fucking gravity. It's not something that's like playing with your concept of life and, you know, what is beyond. It's just it is what it is. And so because of that, I'm not inclined to really be bothered by some of the things we pointed out. That being said, if you want to say that about it, I can't tell you you're wrong. If any of that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it really, I mean, you kind of have to decide where the line is. And then, you know, that's that's going to determine if you enjoy the movie or not. I think that the movie, like specifically talking about the, the McConaughey character, right? Like the movie is just telling you, like, you know, somebody like this. Growing up, you probably saw an older dude that was just kind of, and not like in a, not necessarily in a creepy way, but... Maybe there was, you know what I mean? Like if you grew up, like growing up, you probably, you can recognize the type when you see in the movie and the movie, like you said, isn't trying to challenge you in trying to decide what to do or how to feel about this character, but more just like pointing and going like, oh yeah, I know what that is. I know that type. I know that archetype. The the older guy that just can't leave school and by extension seems attracted to high school girls. And so you can follow, go down that rabbit hole and go to some very like awkward places <laughs> when watching this movie. Or you can just decide that you're not going to let it, you know, be any more than like a surface level joke and just let it slide in a way. Uh, sure. The problem, I think, is that uh, we may be just overloaded right now with it. Like, it's harder not to see it <laughs> and not to think about it. Yeah, definitely. I agree with what both of y'all said, especially Alex, considering we grew up together. <laughs> um, this was definitely a movie in the rotation. Like, we watched it a lot when we were kids. And I don't really know why that was because we had family in texas growing up but it wasn't like we watched this because it was an austin movie but like i remember watching it with our older cousins and it was just kind of like a good time you know feel good i guess movie (laughs) and the soundtrack was influential for me um and so i always 
really liked the movie because I thought it was just like a slice of life from the 70s, you know, but definitely after rewatching it. And yeah, you're right, Julio, like we have this kind of forced lens upon us right now where we are ultra sensitive to certain things, especially things like misogyny and and uh, I don't want to say bigotry, but but we're we're just we're more sensitive. And I don't I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet. But and Alex, I agree with you. Like, if somebody has a problem with it, I'm not going to argue with them. Because yeah, there are some moments in this movie where I was a little uncomfortable, but I'm not ready to say I don't like this movie because I grew up with it, you know, because um, because I had such love for it as a kid, even though I probably didn't, or I definitely didn't understand <laughs> many of the intricacies. But I mean, and on top of it, like, I think being an Austinite now, there are definitely parts of it that are really, that we hold, we hold dear, like, ju- not just McConaughey and all right, all right, all right, or top notch, but like, I realized that the Emporium scenes were filmed like a stone's throw from where we live uh, over here on Lamar. And like in some scenes, you're like, I drive on that road all the time. And there is a cool part about it that's, you know, Austin pride. And Alex, I think you may have already alluded to this, but I worked at this school that they filmed at for a period of time and seeing certain scenes uh, when they're at school thinking like that brings back good memories, you know, of a time when I was there. So it's weird because in the moment in the movie, there were, there were parts where I was thinking, Oh my gosh, like I, I can't believe I, I thought this movie was like lighthearted or, or, or funny or, you know, all of these um, sexist jokes and, and tropes and, uh, and everything. But you know, what are you, you going to do? It's it, like y'all said, it's not something, it's not something that they're not trying to prove anything or they're not trying to sell you on anything. It, it's just, it is what it is. It's a slice of life sort of thing. And of course I could go on about like the awful terminology that was used and all of the littering. Gosh, they litter all <laughs> that much in the seventies. That's one of the best throwaway jokes in Anchorman. Like I've come to just love so much that scene where they're just walking and eating and they just throw everything <laughs> yeah. they have on the ground. I know that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that always <laughs> reminds me of how great of a throwaway joke that is. I'd like to think that the the crew picked up all the litter, but <laughs> I mean, I tend to. I think when I was younger watching it, it was more of a like, man, I wish. Like that time seemed so much cooler. Like it seemed so much um, more fun or the music was better or kids were more free or this and that. I mean, yeah, maybe they were all it's of interesting that, but you were say people that. really as informed or as, dare I say, enlightened about life, you know, or were they just kind of getting drunk, hitting mailboxes, bumbling along with no perceived consequences and so that's why it's like i'm not gonna get on rotten tomatoes and and i don't know how that works i'm sorry i don't know if i can just like write a review but i still like this movie just probably not as much as i did it's interesting you say that thing about watching the lens of like oh man that seems so cool because especially as adults now it's like obviously they're you just you're an adult, you know, responsibility and stuff, and you watch this, and it's just a natural comparison or a natural movie to bring up because it, I talk about it all the time on here because it's one of my favorites ever, and that's almost famous. And like that movie does something similar, but also it has this overall feeling that that was like a time of wonder, whereas this is just kind of like okay, it's the seventies, and I get like this is your story, but like the the story in almost famous is almost like universal. I know none of us have ever toured with a band or anything like that, but not there's yet. like there you go <laughs> there's a sense in that movie of like man this real this really was a special time, whereas this is just kind of like it, i mean you could just make this this could still happen in backwoods America anywhere, people getting paddled and shit like that, so I think it the soundtrack. And obviously the passion was there when Linklater made this. He wanted to make a story about what it was like for him growing up. And I think he accomplished that. It just, it is what it is. And I mean that in the sense of like, it doesn't go more than surface level. Right. Yeah. Uh, Like I do hate to play this card, but I'm going to, as a woman, (laughs) 
as a woman, <laughs> I when I watch this movie now, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm okay with the time that I'm in <laughs> because it's not like it paints a great picture for being. What are you talking like, about? All the all the women loved it. Even if like you're getting cheated on in public, okay, like you Alex, still okay. are happy about it at okay. the end. <laughs> but it, like I just, it was obviously I, I just can't get over the coach talking to the kids about muff. No, seriously, everybody. Now don't go getting soft on me this summer. You know, you're sitting around the pool all day chasing the muff around. God, I don't even want to say that word. But like I mean <laughs> I still love that when I was a kid, I was like really into the seventies. And like I said, the soundtrack, even though now it's super cliche and and a bit pandering, like, like the soundtrack to almost famous and those movies really did inspire me in a way. And I, I really loved and appreciated that time. But it's like, as you get older, you realize maybe there's, there's a reason why, People like the critics who said that it's like the golden era and everything because maybe they don't want to acknowledge that it wasn't that great because it's such an iconic, you know, nostalgic time. Well, I think that it, you have to put like the, the there's like two filters at play with the movie anyway, because it's, you know, everything that happens first, you have to say, well, it's set in the 70s. So what you're seeing is the way that things were in the 70s and then on top of that you put the it was made in the 90s uh filter so it's set in the 70s as portrayed in the 90s and so we are kind of like two levels removed from what was acceptable yeah so I, like if you were to make days to confuse today i think that even if you remade like the it was the exact same story or you know the same thing is happening i i think that most filmmakers would be a little more critical or of certain things that are happening there like the, the only thing that really bothers me in this movie now that we're in real talk like the only thing that that actually takes me out of the movie and i think that it's kind of a misstep from blink ladder when when he was directing is the the scene where mitch gets paddled because it's a even more so than mcconaughey being a creepy perv like that moment is kind of a a, just disturbing and like with the slow motion and the song and just the the close-ups on the joy (laughs) that these like grown men are getting out of torturing this little kid and, and i get it that he's like trying to be funny like he's trying to present it in a lighthearted way and i get that a lot of people would say well that's how it was you know and the whole point is that he's trying to be true to the way things were but i think that the 2022 sensibility and how you shoot that versus the 1990 sensibility of how you shoot that that's what makes all the difference because i think that if you shot it here maybe you wouldn't shoot it as this uh kind of fun cool moment <laughs> with the with the Alice Cooper soundtrack and, and and everything, you know, and that is, you know, there's examples of that to a lesser and greater degree throughout the movie, where I think that just tilting a little bit the way that that it's shot, the way that it's interpreted, you you could change this because you could present the McConaughey character, uh, you could put him under a more critical light, and it would also feel suddenly, uh, you know, it would still be kind of like a challenge to the audience, but it wouldn't feel uh, it would make you uncomfortable in the sense of like, I don't know what the movie's saying. Instead, it would be like, oh, I know what the movie's saying, and now I just don't know if I feel comfortable with the character itself. So I think that that's something that's doesn't play. And so I can cut Linklater some slack in the sense that, well, you know, in the 90s, maybe we were not ready to address like this type of story critically or this type of story beat. And, and it is a representation maybe of, you know, the kind of hazing and the kind of culture that, uh, was going on in the 70s like you couldn't really present like argue that this is taking place in the 70s and then have a bunch of like enlightened teenagers that are being you sure. know that are not being misogynists and like foul mouth in the way that they are here you know uh, so i mean i can i can give it some latitude in in that sense um it doesn't mean that some of it doesn't make me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah and i mean then again like hazing nowadays is like kids drinking to death you know like and when you think about it maybe it was better <laughs> maybe paddling was a, <laughs> was more fun you know um but it, this 
uh, makes me wonder, like, was this marketed as a comedy? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Because I, yeah. I don't think I've ever, like, seen the trailer. It was it was definitely ahead of its time in the sense of the stoner comedy. You know, I don't know if you want to call the golden era of stoner comedy, but like you had the American Pies and you had Road Trip and then, you know, Harold and Kumar and movies like that in the early 2000s. This was uh, almost a clear decade uh, prior, but it was definitely marketed as a stoner comedy. Jason London, I remember one time saying that he thought it did much better on the home video circuit because you could get high when you were watching it there. And he was just like talking about how you didn't do well in the theater because you couldn't take your bong. But um, <laughs> I had uh, my original DVD copy of it got stolen in college, but it was the, was that the widescreen? It was. <laughs> I guarantee you this one I have right now is one of those that I got at half price books or goodwill. That was just, you know how I operate. Like I just go through those dollar bins they have. And if it's something that I need on my shelf, I grab it until it, that was a couple of years ago where I had my first, I bought a movie that I already owned a copy of. And I was like, all right, brother, you need to reel this in. You're getting out of control. But uh, <laughs> the original one had the, that's back when uh, those original like DVD runs were the cover was just the movie poster. And it was like, this psychedelic, like it was green and purple clouds, and then it had uh, actress Mila Jovovich, uh, Rory Cochran, Jason London, and Sasha Jensen on it. But like their images were like distorted, and yeah. so it looked like you know something kind of trippy. And Lily and I were actually talking about before we started recording the second half. The tagline on the poster was, "It was the last day of school in 1976, a time they'd never forget if only they could remember." Uh, <laughs> and it said, "See it with a bud." And so it definitely it knew its audience and where it was marketed. Yep. I think movies were just flat out better then. Also, I was thinking about it, it's on the top of my head because it was an episode you were on with the silly. But you think of a movie like Big is something that was marketed as a comedy. But that movie is an incredible coming of age tale. And like it's just a fantastic movie about growing up and whatnot. And so something like this, people would go see just for the laughs and not understand that there's actually some substantial shit to this. Now it's, you know, mostly bad. The Safdie brothers and P.T. Anderson make movies every once in a while, and that's still good, but that's about it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Lillian called out um, all the scenes in the parking lot at the high school, Julio. I was just there the other week. Like, that's one of my friends lives over there, and it's it still looks exactly the same. Uh, yeah. Were you flopping so, like fried bacon? Uh, <laughs> I was not. <laughs> There's a there's a Taco Bell over there that always gets the order right, so I was probably eating fried bacon on a taco. But uh, yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of portable buildings there that were not there in 1993. Um, parking lot looks the same though. Yeah, to serve a lot more students, but yeah, I remember um, I had a con Betacheck Middle School. I had a contract with them to tutor eighth graders um, in reading. I remember I had a kid who didn't show up one time and I had to go looking for him in his class and it was really cool because I it, the blue lockers you know and and the same like railings that, that you see when they're in the school uh so like I said earlier it is definitely a Austin icon in certain ways and I'm glad that I got to see it because I didn't know it until somebody I think a teacher there mentioned it that she had like worked there since <laughs> the 19s <laughs> like yeah it hasn't changed at all Lillian tutored eighth graders and told them 50 of you are leaving here. 25 of you ain't coming back. <laughs> exactly. And I asked them about the muff they would get. I can't. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> that really bothered you. <laughs> I think we all have. Okay. So we know what bothered Lillian the most. And I said what bothered me the most. Do you have like a, a high point of just what made you the most uncomfortable while watching Days of Confused, Alex? I did want to say real quick, we can call out something similar. Lillian, when we did uh, Pain and Gain, one of the characters in there refers to going to scout for women as chasing gash. Oh. And Julio Julio and I had a, a, a quite an issue with that terminology, so I can relate. I don't know if there was like a specific line that bothered me. The scene where they're like asking him, like, you going to bang her? Uh, 
I meant what I said of like it seemed so silly because she was at, like at maximum ten feet away from what was happening. So it's like she was definitely within earshot of what was going on. A line that I forgot about that made me laugh really hard, though. I guess this is a positive, not a negative. Is when Adam Goldberg says, "I can't believe they would resort to neo McCarthyism," <laughs> and then there's like this like <laughs> pause and. Anthony Rapp goes, Neil McCarthyism, I like that. And Adam Goldberg goes, well, that's very good, Tony. <laughs> uh, before I, I move on to like tell you how much I love Anthony Rapp and Adam Goldberg in this movie, I guess one other thing that is just kind of a, you know, it's it's a problem of the times. It's just like a consequence of just how we make movies now versus how we made movies then. It, it is the casting. I think that the there are some scenes that would probably be less... Uh, disturbing is a little strong, but you know, like the the scene where uh, they're in the parking lot and they're making Parker Posey is making the freshman propose to the seniors. Mm-hmm. And- Dude, that girl they get that like Sasha Jensen just verbally assaults. Mm-hmm. It, it, she looks like she's thirteen. Yeah. Yes, and so that's the problem because I think that uh, I get that you're going for for. Uh, not necessarily realism, but you know, you want it to feel Authentic. like, oh, well, this is high school and they're wild, you know? Yeah. But, but he looks so much older. <laughs> she looks so young and he looks so much older. And so that kind of takes you out of the movie because it's like an older dude being really gross with a really young looking woman. So young looking girl. So it, that, I think that that kind of, uh, Maybe it was more of a, well, that's just how we make movies. You know, that's, that's, it was a lot easier to enter within that contract of, I'm just going to believe that these guys are teenagers and I'm going to see them as teenagers versus now where we're just more used to seeing kind of like an age appropriate casting and that it's a little harder to just get those moments. Uh, So, so I think that that's maybe one other thing that's working against the movie when you watch it today versus when it came out or maybe even like, I don't know. 10, 15 years ago. You spit or swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you like. Whatever I like, I would definitely marry you. It's so degrading. <laughs> I joked about it already, but I, I do need to call out. I think the most startling, just because of where we are as a society, is the casual men touching women's asses. Like the the paddle, and then when McConaughey taps her on the ass, I completely concede and understand that that was the norm, but again, we're watching it through these analytical lenses and watching it like we are now. I was just like almost to the point of laughing because I was uncomfortable, that type of thing. Yeah, and Uh, then here I am sitting here and I'm like, am I too sensitive? Like, should I be letting this get... You know, that's... You bring up such good points, Julio, like, because sometimes I, I think like it's 2022 you know this was 30 years ago that this was made about a movie of a time that was 50 years ago you know and like i feel like now we're so quick so quick to judge those things without like considering the context because i'm not saying that any of that should have been acceptable but the truth is it was you know and nothing like we say is going to change that but it is just interesting how we have these especially i have these like really quick reactions to that because in in a relatively short period of time things have changed so drastically you know compared to you know 100 years ago like you know the 90s weren't that long ago and for them to see the 70s through that lens is things have just changed so radically as far as like, I mean, it's not radical to say a woman should be slapped on the ass without permission, but, (laughs) but if that happened, you know, so casually today, it wouldn't happen so casually today. At least not in like that. You'd have to be in pretty like rural parts for that to still be accepted as a norm. But uh, Julio, I know you had some positive things you wanted to call out. And I'll start by saying, you know, which character and which actor comes out of this unscathed. And we have absolutely nothing bad to say about Rory Cochran. The lesson here, (laughs) smoke weed, mind your own business, be nice to everybody and you'll be all right. Try to try to be Uh, shotgun. Yeah. And he actually looks, he, he, I could, I believe he's a high school student. For sure. And, and uh, obviously his, cinematic uh, and artistic peak would come two years later in the role of Lucas in Empire Records, uh, where he he goes toe for toe with Anthony LaPaglia. But he was just, you know, kind of warming up here. Um, and I mean that genuinely. His character is the one that you can't, like, fault. And also, like, anything about his story in the movie is 
it's bulletproof. So in in essence, Linklater knows how to write bulletproof characters. He just, you know, <laughs> Ethan Hawke in the Before trilogy is what how he sees himself. <laughs> Julio, yeah, you, I know you wanted to give some credit to Adam Goldberg and uh, Anthony Rapp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can't be alone here, or maybe maybe I am. I, I think. Oh that, no, they're great. <laughs> well, I think there's the highlight of the movie. Uh, uh, and I, I actually okay, so I've been fairly negative so far in real talk, but I actually enjoyed watching this movie a lot. And I, I think that I just had to kind of get out all the disclaimers ahead of me say, talking about the things I enjoyed, so that it's clear that I enjoyed it with reservations in the back of my head. But yeah. the the Anthony Rapp, Adam Goldberg, and uh, Ribisi. That's a, the last name of the actress that that plays Cynthia is Ribisi. So I hope that she's Marissa Rabisi. Marissa Rabisi. Do you think she's related to Giovanni? Because that'd be amazing. But anyway, <laughs> the three of them, uh, they were my favorite little group to follow through the movie because the back and forth between Goldberg and Rap is is generally pretty funny. And uh, the way they deliver their lines is is really is really good. Like it really uh, they nail the characters, you know, and then she's there. She comes in and out. And I just like the fact that she's there, but she is not a sexual object in the way that pretty much every other female character is in the movie. She's just there because yeah. she's, you know, she's just hanging out with them. And then at some point, yeah, she hooks up with with Matthew McConaughey. But I think that they're really funny. The kind of weird love story between Anthony Rapp and the freshman. I mean, I could leave or take that. But the, the interaction of this group of friends, especially that moment when... Uh, Adam Goldberg <laughs> talks about how he doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore because he's realized that he hates people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the funniest moments in the movie. I don't, I don't think I like people, period. I mean, you guys are okay. I, I, I'm just trying to be honest about being a misanthrope. Felt bad that he, he got his ass kicked, but it, it had to happen. It would, yeah. It was, it was like a game of consequence. But I think like the, the moral is like he stood up for himself, which was like the important part. And then, yeah, they show him at the end with his face all fucked up. He's like, I understand it's kind of asymmetrical. But, uh. <laughs> and uh, quickly, Marissa Rabisi is, in <gasps> fact, the twin sister of Giovanni Rabisi. Amazing. Yes. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Somehow she couldn't get him a role in Days of Confused. So I think that, that lends itself to the conversation of Matthew McConaughey and to, to, yeah, to reinforce what you're saying, Julio, like all of their dialogue is so good and like Anthony Rapp, uh, Lily and I will always know him as Jacob in Road yes. Trip. Uh, he's he's like the bad guy in that movie, and he's just such like a psychopath and a nerd in that. It's so good, but um, he's such like a wiener in this. <laughs> like you, you know, he has a heart of gold, but like he, the scenes where he's like whining about, oh, now I'm in a top notch eating jalapeno burgers and fingering <laughs> through soggy fries. I ate top notch recently. Let me tell you, that place is legit. <laughs> there, there ain't nothing to complain about eating top notch. Um, he just didn't know but, how good he had it. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly. That that speaks to everyone in this. But Matthew McConaughey, I think one of the things I took away from this that I never really had before because it's just such a cliched movie is really letting it set in that like we're watching the birth of one of the most famous actors of like all three of our lifetimes in this movie. And it's, it's Matthew McConaughey. And like I said, people lauded it at the time is like great or, and still do, excuse me. That's not just at the time people say this is like a great performance, but what we've come to learn is this was just this dude being himself. And it's, um, <laughs> it's fascinating to watch. Yeah. Say what you will about the character or whatever it, it makes for a good comedic performance how like confident he is in everything that he does and how just like you know cool he thinks he is and his presence is and but it's um that scene where he pulls in to talk to uh Cynthia well listen you should ditch those two geeks in the car and come with <laughs> us but we'll talk about that later it's just like that scene right there is the one where he has the most like time to shine because that's where he enters with all right all right mm -hmm. all right and it's just it's always fascinating watching something like this or you know like when you watch goodfellas again and like uh leota's performance in that or uh any of like those movies you could use as like a hallmark in someone's career almost famous with Kate Hudson, that type of thing. You're like, you're watching something special happen and then watching that back again, you knowing that it makes it, I think more interesting and more impactful. Yeah, definitely. It kind of makes me wish that 
the other talent in this movie. Well, I mean, Parker Posey. Um, Roy Cochran had a good career. Yeah, yeah. Has. <laughs> Actress Mila Jovovich became the anchor of a franchise that made a shit ton of money. Yeah, but was she really like acting? Had nothing to do with no. her performance. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think she. No. Yeah. Having gone through like what y'all do, what's what's part one called again? Contrarian's Corner. Okay, going through Contrarian's Corner and then Real Talk. I mean, sure, there's plenty about this movie that you can pick on and disagree with or criticize, but I don't think I'm gonna really change my opinion about it. Even though I didn't enjoy it as much this time. Like, I'm not going to let that spoil, you know, how much I loved it before. We talk about that all the time, though, Julio, about there's these movies we come away from saying, acknowledging these problems with it, I still enjoy it and I have a good time, that type of thing. Yeah, because well, there's so, there's so much good in it still. Yeah. It's just that it's yeah the, the, the bad things kind of like or the, the troublesome things kind of like jump out first and then. You kind of like settle in, and there's like a lot of good stuff. Uh, man, before I forget, Cole Hauser has one of the most genuine moments in the movie. <laughs> and it's Is it when he end. stands up when yep. he's yep. yes, yeah, <laughs> he's drinking and he stands up, and because I think we've all been there before. Right. Of like you think you're okay, and you stand up, and it really hits you how fucking drunk you are. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. There's definitely some some tropes and some cliches that you know kind of make your eyes roll, but they serve a purpose you know they're important and like where there's several moments in this movie where like i smiled and yeah like where you kind of got like i said nostalgia can go either way it can be like or like you said there's a thin line here you know you can take it at face value and say things were different things were better things were simpler but at the end of the day it's still fun and it still is I think an important rendition of maybe some things we've lost, but maybe some things that we should have lost, you know, (laughs) things that are better, (laughs) better kept in the past, but, but also leaves you thinking like ignorance is bliss and maybe, maybe it was a better time. It's also a movie that represents a lot of what we've lost from just a filmmaking perspective that major studios take risks on, not even risks, but just like, here's some money, make what you want. (laughs) <laughs> and then ends up, you know, through <laughs> generations becoming a timeless classic. Here's my my biggest takeaway, actually, and maybe the reason why ultimately I land on the on the very positive actually in this movie was because the the ending kind of snuck up on me. I I was not expecting Linklater to nail the ending, and my first thought was, this is what the ending of Boyhood should have been. Uh, not as in like what happens, but as in the the feeling of there was this kind of meandering journey, but then there was something that, you know, there's something that brings it together at the end. And here it is, and it comes from Jason London, <laughs> of all people, uh, the the forgotten hero of this movie, I guess. The, it, 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 when they're at the football field and he has his little moment where he says, uh, well, it's, it's him and Sasha Jensen, actually. They're back and forth because he says, I don't want this, <laughs> the line that I made fun of in Contrarian's Corner, when he says, I don't want these to be the best days of my life. Well, look, all I'm saying is that if I ever start referring to these as the best years of my life, remind me to kill myself. Well, all I'm saying is I just want to look back and say that I did it the best I could while I was stuck in this place. Had as much fun as I could when I was stuck in this place. Played as hard as I could when I was stuck in this place. Dogged as many chicks as I could when I was stuck in this place. (laughs) There's two things that were just kind of blew my mind at that moment. It was one that I found myself agreeing with both of them, even though technically they're just saying they're on opposite sides of of, of the argument there. And like I, I was like, yeah, you're, they're both right, and I, I kind of I can empathize with both sentiments. But then also, I kind of felt that that made everything in the movie make sense just the the shapelessness of the movie the, the all these like stops and starts in the plot and the, the the little stories that went nowhere and the the little vignettes that may have felt disconnected when you just look at that as a snapshot of what high school life is for a high schooler and then you have somebody that says 
I look at this picture and I don't want this to be where I peaked. And then you have somebody else that looks at the same picture and says, well, I, I just want to be able to look at it and say, I got the most out of that experience. Like that, that feeling, and at that moment, it kind of transcended everything that was disconnecting me from the movie. <laughs> it didn't matter that it was the 70s. It didn't matter that it was a movie from the 90s that was not aligned with the sensibilities of 2022. It just matter that I remember having that thought in high school or when I was leaving high school and just that feeling of like, how much do you want to just invest time and energy in making this an unforgettable experience and how much of it is just how much time and energy you want to spend in like just moving forward and just leaving this behind. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is that is a hell of a point for this movie to make. You wouldn't expect that, at least I didn't expect it to, to get suddenly that profound in the final minutes of the movie. Uh, that is way more uh, impactful for me than him signing or not signing the piece of paper and all that stuff. You know, for, that, sure. for me, yeah, it's really the high point of the movie happens in that football field. And that's my biggest takeaway after watching Days of Confused a second time, because I definitely did not get it the first time. It's just that that feeling of like, wow, it, son of a bitch pulled it off. Richard Linklater <laughs> had a plan after all. Yeah, that's a good point. Like you obviously said it in a lot crisper terms than I was trying to y'all are better at this than I am but I totally agree because regardless of how quote-unquote the times ended up good or bad it's more about like like Cynthia said uh the redhead Giovanni Ribisi's twin when she was talking (laughs) about seeing rather than the present a precursor to the future or something that is like meant to be why can't the present just be something we live in without Mm -hmm. without any um not necessarily consequences but without any you know super prolific attachments regardless of whether or not you want to say the times were good or bad now would you enjoy them while they were there maybe the 80s will be radical you know i figure we'll be in our 20s and hey it can't get any worse Really like Michelle Burke, Jody in this. Very attractive and very uh, effortless in her role. She was the daughter in the Coneheads movie. I think that was the other big thing that she had going for. Mitch Kramer's like we, sister? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like we said, Rory Cochran comes out unscathed, poised to take over, conquer the world in the next two years. Uh, Joey Lauren Adams, uh, Simone has barely anything to do in this movie, but she gets second billing because, you know, she was she was going to be a thing. She was going to be a, a, a big thing. Parker Posey is someone we haven't really given enough credit to. She's just fantastic in this. And uh, when she's come up in the podcast before, I always call out how great she was on Parks and Rec. I can't ever remember her character's name, but she's the she works in uh, Eagleton. You know, mm-hmm. she's the the Leslie of Eagleton. And she's just tremendous, especially at the end where she's just drunk. And her final scene is chilling. I'm going to make the next year of your life a living hell. <laughs> There's also this like cut to her dancing where she's like just like violently thrashing. It's <laughs> very, very funny. We did wrong by not making Parker Posey one of the we do we did wrong by not making her the Meryl Streep of our our lifetime. I'll tell you that right now. I think now. it's by choice. I think she she decided to stay on the indie lane. She clearly like just chose what she wanted to do and stuff. Yeah. yeah. She said, I'm gonna save myself for Scream Three. And she's awesome in Scream 3. She's one of the the few good things about that movie. Uh, and then just wrapping up here, closing down, because this is definitely such a fascinating movie, and especially coming up from the perspective of Austinites, we could talk about this for three hours. Um, ben Affleck, tremendous in this movie. And, you know, Hulo, you and I, in the years we've done this, have gone through so many things with Ben Affleck. Be <laughs> All the iterations of Ben Reindeer Affleck. games. <laughs> Uh, talking about Dawn of Justice, talking about um, uh, Goodwill Hunting, you know, mm-hmm. and we we've we've been through a lot with Ben and uh, Geely, and <laughs> it, you know the highest highs and the lowest oh. lows. Yeah, I don't recommend anyone ever watch that movie. It's it's one of those movies people hear how bad it is and they think they want to see it. You don't. But in this, absolutely nails the role that is asked of him of like the flunky who just thinks he's the greatest thing on earth. Lillian called out the shot in the pool hall where he's talking shit and mm-hmm. he sinks the ball like 
but he like turns to talk shit before he sinks it and it's like i wonder how many shots that took but he's just <laughs> such a prick and then seeing him get his comeuppance and completely melting down like when he's trying to fight that guy while he's covered in paint it's so funny i mean i'm not telling tales at recess here ben affleck's a great actor but in this in particular I think when people think of this movie, it's generally Matthew McConaughey, Parker Posey, that type of thing. Uh, and I think it's easy to forget how good Ben Affleck is in this. If I Is that a fair thing to say, Julio? Yeah, it, it he stands out in a way, but also because he is one of the bigger, maybe the biggest modern day star. Well, him and McConaughey, you know, you see him and you're like, oh, like way back then. Did y'all hear this little motherfucker's mom pulled a shotgun on me this afternoon? Fucking bitch. You you haven't had any licks yet, have you? Hmm? No. Woo! Another cherry, boys. He's just as good. It, it it just makes sense. It's the opposite of Jason London. I don't mean to like shit on Jason London because I've <laughs> you know what you can't, it, he was it's human nature, dude. You watch a movie like this that's just loaded with stars and he's the lead, and you're like, why didn't he become something bigger? Right. Like I knew him before I watched Days and Confused, I knew Jason London from uh Party of Five, uh, oh. you know, with Contrarian's favorite, <laughs> Nip Campbell. Uh, he was Nip Campbell's boyfriend for several seasons. Wow. And, uh, and then he's in Moretz. He's in like the second Kevin Smith movie. He's one of the right. leads there. It's him and Jason That's Lee. That's right. I could not remember what the other movie where he got the lead was, and it's fucking Moretz. They are the Moretz, him and Lee. But it just, it just didn't happen, you know? And so you see, when you see Jason London here, it's not that you go, of course, it didn't happen. You know, you're just kind of like, oh, that's a shame because this was he's he's good in this. He does everything that is required of him. But then when you see Ben Affleck and McConaughey, you're like, of course, they went on to become great actors or like, you know, superstars, because even this early in their careers, they were just nailing it. You know, they just had that that thing. Affleck also Moritz, by the way. Yep. So do we give like a Jerry Springer final thought? <laughs> in summation. I think I just really disrupted the universe with this in mall rats oh joey lauren adams is there too right in mall rats and party of five it's jason's twin brother jeremy london wait what yes i am also agog at this news that uh i'm looking it up now so wait so what has jason london been in nothing jason can did, did he really peak We've only been thinking of Jeremy London this oh whole time. Oh my god, it is his twin. Uh, he's got a pretty expansive, Lillian called it out, he was in The Rage, Carrie 2. Man, maybe that's part of it. They were both in Seventh Heaven, so there you go. Jeremy and Jason <laughs> London. As twins, or did they just kind of like tag in and out? And twins. <laughs> and then of course the timeless 2003 skateboard comedy grind saw Jason London and Sasha Jensen reunite on. Oh wow! On set of that. Man, so you know, you like that. Sometimes you see twins, and you're like, you can tell them apart. And granted, it's been a while since I've watched Moretz and or Party no, of dude, Five. When you were saying that, they look identical. Yeah, you were saying that, and immediately in my mind, I saw them. So I, I'm not faulting you on that at all. But um, even the the cadence, like the way they talk and the the way they move. I mean, that's just because you know he has this kind of like awkward movement. And uh, yeah. at least I remember him, you know, in Party of Five and in Mulrats, uh, Jeremy London, I guess, is exactly the same way where he's just kind of, you know, he's the leading man, but the leading man that's kind of awkward. And that's that's kind of like what Jason London is here. <laughs> that's that's um, man. I'm so glad you caught it before we just posted this episode and then got inundated by people. <laughs> Actually, it was his twin brother. Yeah, we got like a cease and desist from Jeremy London. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, man, the ending of Days of Confused is a thousand times more poignant now when you know that Jason London did not go on to be in Party of Five or Mallrats or Mallrats. You're exactly right. Maybe in some of those scenes, it was Jeremy. (laughs) Closely guarded secret. Well, we still have the Bella twins, so that's what matters. (laughs) Twin magic. A fantastic piece of business is Dazed and Confused, warts and all. I know it's not exclusive to him, but my buddy Oracle uses that expression, and I think of him when I use it. It's um, There are some things here that we rightly called out about it. There are some things, too, that are very cool being an Austinite and saying, hey, I see that's Lamar's. I, I drove down that street. That's, you know, 
Uh, I know where that place is. That's that's something that's cool. That's always going to come with a the movie. There's scenes like that in Boyhood too. This definitely was not Boyhood in the sense of like I've changed my tune completely on it. I I enjoyed myself, and by the sounds of it, the things we called out aside, we all did too. So Lillian, typically the way we do this is um, I give out a letter grade. Julio likes to stick to the star scale. You can give this a thousand Stanley nickels if you want to. It's a whatever, however you want to rate it. Okay. Uh, I still think it's got to be in a B category because there's very much an air of this is me finally getting to make a major motion picture. So I'm going to do everything I can. Cause like I said, there's a chase scene, there's a sports scene. There's, you know, uh, some of the way the kissing and shit is shot is very intimate. So it's like a sampler platter of filmmaking. Uh, at the same time, there's some shit in this that like a guy making that shot of McConaughey and Jason London and Mitch walking into the bar. Yeah. That's like an all time shot that I think of when I think of, you know, 70s throwback style movies. So the there's clearly a lot of talent from this filmmaker here and something that's worth credit is it it bleeds passion it's a movie that bleeds this is what i wanted to make and this is the story i wanted to tell even if some of that doesn't necessarily age well and it, even if that means he has to play slow ride fucking twice in the movie <laughs> it's uh there's still so much to this it's not on the same level as almost famous it's not on the same level as you know some other coming of age tales i would even say big since lillian's on here to throw back to that i don't think it's quite on the level of that but it's still a, a damn fine movie uh one that i would recommend people check out and one that i'm fine giving a b to uh julio on your star scale where is this gonna land i'm uh, surprising myself by giving it a uh, four stars because i really love that ending or at least that pre-ending scene at the football field i feel like i need to reward link ladder because he needs my approval uh, after <laughs> after how much shit we talked and continue talking about boyhood and the ending of boyhood which every time the ending of boyhood comes up i make sure to call out how bad it is and this is the complete opposite this is this is when you when you do it right when you pull it off it's just amazing i'm, I'm still reeling because i i just watched it like shortly before we we started recording and i was i think i'm still charged from that i may think about it two weeks from now and think maybe <laughs> maybe it's three and a half stars but right now it's four stars excellent lily you want to give a letter grade star grade what are you going to go with aside from the yeah the blemishes that we pointed out uh like i said it's super nostalgic and I grew up watching this movie so yeah I'll give it four bags of popcorn and a and a tap on the tush <laughs> <laughs> tremendous yeah, very it's, appropriate uh, not perfect um but I grew up loving this movie and and I still love it awesome it's a respectful uh tap on the tush yeah you know, oh yeah with permission <laughs> yeah the movie smiled and and walked winked, away knowingly yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for having me on. This was fun. I, I know I'm not an expert by any means, but but it was fun to talk with y'all about this movie. But this is just the beginning. Yeah, really. indeed, yeah. indeed. Yeah, we'll uh, be back for real talk discussions of a, a goofy movie in Wet Hot American Summer. I think that's the trilogy everyone always thinks of: is Dazed and Confused, a goofy movie, and David Wayne classic Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> it's the box set that never was. Heck yeah, <laughs> that's the the. The studios that used to release just random like three packs, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should make that or petition right. for it. Well, good luck working with Disney. Mm. <laughs> Lily, we'll see you uh, here shortly for a goofy movie, but uh, that is going to do it for this episode. Julio on deck in our chronology. What's coming up uh, from a movie that's dear near and dear to your family alex to you and your sister to a movie that is uh somewhat related to my roots uh we're gonna tackle the first peruvian netflix original what's it called excellent Blue question, Oliveira, portrait of a psycho <laughs> <laughs> it's called without saying goodbye and uh alex it's only about 90 minutes so the Mattis uh, rule, right? Yeah, it, it falls within the Mattis rule, and I'm going to take you on a very uh, Netflixified tour of my country. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, it should be an interesting conversation. It's rotten, so <laughs> we'll we'll be saying nice things about it in the first half, and then then we'll see on the second half. 
All right. Well, I look forward to that. Going to go ahead and get on out of here. So we're going to move into our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hansworth Geezer is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page, all our pages. If it's a tomato looking at itself in the mirror, uh, Hans probably designed it. Uh, you can check out his work on his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. There's links there to uh, his books. He's a novelist. He's written a bunch of fantasy novels, zombie novels. And like I said, he's also a podcaster. He has a podcast about Peruvian current affairs called Nación Combi and about the economy called Marginal. Hans, thank you for all your support. And Zoe, Zoe Perez, as always give you your propers for the work you do for us on social media i I don't know here in the weeks to come i might have some grudges with you watching the the twilight movies that you've requested for us but uh for now i can thank you greatly Uh, if you're on facebook facebook.com slash contrarian prime you can follow us there as well as on instagram at contrarian prime zoe posts videos interactive graphics uh images audio clips previewing upcoming episodes or you know the episode du jour what's out at the time um, makes all of it look a lot prettier than it would if Julio and I were left to our own. So Zoe, as always, we appreciate the work you do for us. And we appreciate you, the listening public, for tuning in. But that is going to do it for Days of Confused, and that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We will catch you next time. I just can't quite get by the time